Welcome back to the Haven Audio Podcast. This is Chad Wallenberg here with Corey Kirkland. Corey, it's really good to see you today. Great to see you too, Chad. You know, we were talking before we started recording the show, I was just thinking it's been quite a while since we've got to spend just some time together. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it really has. We kind of had a rush podcast recording last time, but we didn't get to visit. We've hung out tonight. It's been really nice. It's been really good. Well, uh, Corey, this week, the question that we are looking at is actually not just one question. It's two questions. Um, We had one person ask about how important physically gathering with other church members is, which I think is a really interesting and relevant question, especially during this time of of COVID and during this pandemic and all that stuff. The second question that we're looking at is one that is more kind of feels like it's on the opposite side of the spectrum until you dig into it. And that is, what if a lot of my friends aren't Christians? Is that okay? You know, is it okay for me to have close friendships with people who aren't Christians? And while on the surface, those look like very different questions. I I think that we both, as we've dug into it, have seen that they're pretty similar. Yeah, they really are. They're two different questions with essentially the same scriptural application. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. And the answer to both those questions, can I be a good Christian if I don't have a physical church to go to? And can I be a good Christian if I don't have Christian friends to be around is yes. God, Jesus is always enough. Jesus plus nothing else is all you ever need. But God created community and he wants us to have community. He wants us to have that connection with the church and with Christian brothers and sisters. And so that's really what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dig into what the Bible says about community and fellowship, right? We've we've already kind of established where we're going to be, which is awesome. But let's uh, let's kind of fill in some background for that together. Um, so, Corey, what does the Bible say about meeting together? The Bible commands us to meet together. He says, "Do not forsake the meeting together." In Hebrews chapter ten, verse thirty-five, it says, "Do not forsake the meeting together." And, of course, you have the church in Acts, and really the church in Acts is about a group of people learning how to be a family in Jesus, learning how to meet each other's needs. They're meeting at different houses. They're helping each other. They're giving each other their property, their food, and they're just becoming a family. Mm -hmm. Which I think that that's really interesting. And from the very start, when we look at this, we see that familial nature of the early church, right? And that's the model that we've been given of what church life should look like. And really, our families are meant to be the closest relationships that we have. Absolutely. And church is not a punishment. It's a gift. And Mm -hmm. I love the way Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians, I think it's 2.8, said, We are delighted to share not only the gospel— but our very lives as well. It was a delight to live life with the people in Thessalonica, with the Thessalonians that he had a church with. It was actually a joy, and that's the way church is supposed to be. That's supposed to be a source for friendships and a source for fellowship and a source for fun. Yes, absolutely right. It's meant to be a relational foundation for us as we take on life. Let's unpack a little bit of what Paul meant when he was uh, saying he delighted to share not only the gospel with them, but also their lives as well. I think that we could probably unpack a little bit of what it means to share life together. Yeah. You know, people always laugh at that phrase, well, I'm doing life. I really like that phrase because I think it's accurate. Yeah. And the, the, the Acts church, the New Testament original church, 
The Bible says when they just blew up in Antioch and started growing, there were really three things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, in other words, the scripture, and to fellowship, just the hanging out in this, the, the, the koinonia, the, which that's a big old word that means fellowship, mm-hmm. but that agape love that we have between each other, the hanging out, the... The friendships. The friendships, exactly. Mm-hmm. And to the breaking of bread, which a lot of times we make Baptist jokes about potlucks, but I really think that breaking of bread is, they're meeting needs. Yeah. So some people didn't have anything to eat, and other people did, and they said, come to my house and eat with me. So the church really, at its fundamental societal role, now we're all, our number one role is to glorify Jesus, but the role that the church plays in society, the way that we glorify Jesus, is we devote ourselves to Scripture and to fellowship and to meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters. Yeah, and really... So much of what we need relationally is wrapped up in those three things, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, that relational fulfillment, the physical, the meeting of physical needs, and, and really the fulfillment, the discipleship fulfillment, the, the growing in Christ, right? Um, the majority of our needs can be wrapped up in those things. So really, as, as the church, we're really meant to meet each other's needs. It's absolutely clear that fellowship with other believers in church is a good thing. Does that, by necessity, make solitude a bad thing? Absolutely not. The Bible is clear that solitude is also important to our faith. Jesus spent so much of his time on earth that we have recorded just trying to get away and pray and spend time with God. And that's important because he was God. And so it was easier for him than it is for us. And so it's really important that we do have that one-on-one relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the Bible commands us, let each person work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at all the individualized words in that, that, that phrase, each person, singular his own. We should work through our relationship with Jesus, and it should be a one-on-one relationship. I had a preacher when I was a kid used to always say, Jesus don't got no grandkids, (laughs) and you're either God's child or you're not. And that's got to be that one-on-one relationship that, that, I'm going to throw out a big word, there's got to be privity there. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a connection one to another. That's absolutely true. And I think one temptation for us that I'd like to point out, though, is that a lot of times we tend to fall on one side or the other. A lot of times we tend to be alone with a Bible under a tree type of Christians, or we tend to be always surrounded by other people and never finding times for silence and solitude. And I think that there is a there's a middle ground that we need to strike. We need solitude and individual working out of our salvation, but we also need fellowship and the accountability and growth that that fellowship brings. That's such a good point. It's a lot like family relationship. You know, my family, my immediate family is three people, my wife, Elizabeth, my son, Kate. It's very, very important that I have one-on-one time with Elizabeth and maintain that romantic marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. It's also very, very important that I have one-on-one time with my son and maintain that father-son relationship because there's an intimacy that a father and son can only have when it's just the two of them. Yeah. And there's an intimacy that a husband and wife can only have when it's the two of them. But it's also incredibly important for me, for Elizabeth and for Cade, that we also be together as a family, as a whole total unit. And that's the way the body of Christ works. Yeah. 
we need to have that one-on-one relationship with Jesus, but also that relationship with other believers. Yeah. And, and when we, when we get that balance right, it leads to well-rounded growth. One of the things I put in the notes when we started talking about that was, you know, our salvation, right? Our, our redemption from our sins is something that is necessarily individual, right? We have to take personal responsibility for our sins and, and, and give that to the Lord and accept his salvation, right? But so much of growing in our faith, um, the theological word for that would be sanctification. So much of that, we, we really need fellowship with other believers in order to help keep us on track and just to teach us and all of those things. I mean, if you, you think about Ecclesiastes, two are better than one, because if one falls down, the other's there to pick him up. Yep. A quarter of three strands is not easily broken. This week, I have been trying to crossfit by myself because we've got some vulnerable family members, and so I am trying to stay uh, as healthy as I can to not endanger them. So instead of going to the gym and working out and doing those things, I've been trying to do pull-ups at Shannon Springs Park, kettlebell deadlift squat presses in the backyard and by myself. And it's horrible and I hate it, but I can do it. Uh, by God's grace, I can get through the workout. And that's a lot like what it's like when we don't have that fellowship. Yeah. It's hard, but God's enough. Yeah. It's not ideal. It's best if it only happens for a season, but at the end of the day, God's enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. You made a great illustration. There's a season that, that you are working out on your own in order to isolate yourself and, and make sure you don't endanger anybody in your family. And that is a time that you can't gather with other people to work out, right? It's, it's a season, right? It's, it's a temporary season, right? <laughs> um, and, and, we, and, and we go through seasons like that. COVID has been one of those for us, right? I mean, people are more isolated from their faith families than they have been ever in this country. We have had a period of time. Some of us are still in a period of time where we have lost that physical church connection. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you're listening to this and you're a Haven student that goes to USAO and now you're not at USAO because you're doing online learning, you've lost that sense of community and that connection. And that's rough. And there are other seasons, situations where you might be separated from your church family. Maybe uh, you feel, feel led to be in the military, right? And, and, defend your country and you have to spend some time away on a tour of duty or, or for, for training or something like that. There may be a thousand other things. Once you're out of college, you may end up having a job that requires you to travel and you may have to spend some time away from your faith family. I mean, there, there are situations where there are seasons where you have to be separated from your family. You may have an economic situation where you're, you're in town, but you're just at work and you can't go to church. Yes, exactly. And you got to feed your family and those things happen. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what do we do then? How, how should we think about those situations? Well, I think there's a great New Testament biblical model to look at. Because in the New Testament, we have several circumstances when Paul specifically says, I wanted to come to you, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I needed to come be with you face to face. And he says, I long to be with you. And I love the way that Paul actually puts that in First Thessalonians 2. 18, he says, I wanted to visit you in person, but Satan stopped me. So the devil kept him from meeting with his church, with the church in Thessalonica. Mm -hmm. And so Paul wrote a letter. 
Yeah. Now, we haven't written many letters to each other. Maybe somebody wrote you a letter. Nobody wrote me a letter. But we have had Facebook and Zoom, and we've used the technology of the day to communicate as much as we can, just like Paul did. He used the technology of the day. And he says, though, in those letters, this is not as good. I still want to see you. And Facebook is never going to be good. Facebook Live or YouTube is never going to be as good as real church. But... You know what happened because Paul had to write a letter instead of going and seeing the Thessalonians? We have Thessalonians. We have the book of Thessalonians <laughs> that tells us about things like the rapture. Yeah. We have more Christian knowledge, eternal knowledge, than we would have had if Satan hadn't stopped Paul from going to Thessalonia. And so what we see is God prevailed. God found a way and he conquered this problem. And God can find a way and he can conquer this problem, even if we're worshiping through a podcast that we're listening to and and watching Facebook and social media and text messages and phone calls. Even if that's all we got, God can prevail and God can work all things together for those that love the Lord. He can. Amen. Amen. And I think that that, you know, that's so encouraging, right? To know that no matter what, no matter what, the Lord can work things out, right? Even if we cannot be with, with our, our, our faith families, even if we can't have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, God can use it for good. But there's a flip side of that coin too, isn't there? There is. Because, you know, it reminds me of a story. When I first took the bench a few years ago, and I was talking to a more experienced judge, and I had some really complicated trials come up. And I said, you know, I have a lot of confidence in some parts of the law that I did, but this trial, I've not done anything like this. And what if I don't know the answer? What if something comes up during the trial and I don't know what to do? And the judge looked at me and he said, nobody's entitled to a perfect trial, just a fair one. So just be fair and it'll be okay. And that was incredibly great advice for a young judge. Yeah. And in the same way, we're commanded to devote ourselves to fellowship. That's different than having fellowship. We just got to give the best effort we can, work at it the best way. There's going to be times we don't have church connection. There might be times we don't have a lot of friends. We'll talk about that. But we're required to be devoted to that, to work towards it. And we'll talk more about what that means later. Yeah. And I and I love that word devotion, right? I love um, I love that we're called to be devoted to fellowship because really— it, it does the same thing as Jesus does in so many places in the scripture is it takes an outward action and it turns it inward to our heart. Devotion is, is a position of desire. It's a position of longing, right? It's, it's a attitude towards the fellowship of the church. I love the way you said it's a position of longing, because one of the things that you brought up when we were doing the notes is sometimes there's a problem that we realize in our life when we're not seeking out that fellowship. Sometimes when we don't want to be plugged into church, we don't want to be around our Christian community, there's a sin issue there. Yeah, it's a symptom of a larger problem. And it says in 2 Corinthians that Christians bear the aroma of Christ. It literally, a lot of people don't realize the Bible says that Christians smell like Jesus. We smell like Jesus. And it goes a step further and says to the sanctified, that's a wonderful smell. But to the lost, that's the stench of death, the stench of death. And so sometimes the reason we don't want to be around Christians is because they make us smell our own stink. Yeah, They make us smell our own sin. They make us realize that we have the stench of death because 
And if you're a Christian, I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation at all. That's not true at all. That's not what the scripture says. But we can roll around in the filth and get to smelling like it. Yeah. You know, I had a season uh, my sophomore year in college where I had about a semester that I was just burnt out and I didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord. I didn't want to have any sort of fellowship with other believers and things like that. And, um, I, I experienced this firsthand, you know, I, um, some of my best friends, some of the best friends I've ever had in my life. Right. I, I avoided them like the plague throughout an entire semester of school. And for the majority of our listeners are USAO students, and they probably can visualize how hard that is, right? I even got to the point where I wouldn't eat at the cafeteria because I didn't want anyone to walk in, right? I would go and I would order my my food upstairs, and I would carry it back to my apartment, and I would eat alone. Anytime I had to talk to another believer, especially one that cared about me, it reminded me of the sin that I was chasing. And those were things I didn't realize at the time, but in hindsight, I was like, that is what was happening. They were making me smell my own stink. Right? That's exactly right. I think the other side of that is sometimes we just don't know what we're missing. Mm-hmm. We don't realize we have a group of people that love us and want to be there for us. Yeah. Uh, I John Christ, John Christ is a Christian comedian that I've really enjoyed, and he's had some sin issues and some problems in his life, and, and he seems to really be taking ownership of that. But I was listening to him yesterday, and he said, what I never realized is how much people just loved me through this. He said, I thought I would be disowned and attacked and, and just have no future, but instead I was loved and encouraged, and, and people reached out to me. And, and so often we don't realize what we are missing because we haven't experienced it. I never want pork chops, but when Elizabeth makes pork chops, they're delicious and I eat them all. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't want pork chops. I don't know why. There's just, I guess, cause it's not cow. I always think I don't want it, but when she makes it, it's delicious. And sometimes that's how church is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's easy. It, it, it is honestly easy to get out of that habit, right? To, to not go and not realize what we're missing out on, right? Absolutely. Um, now, how does all this relate to our second question? We've, we've really kind of only explored that first question about the importance of physical gathering with other believers. And I think it might be time to dive into this question about having non-Christian friends. What if the majority or all of your closest friends are not Christians? Well, the answer is, is really the same scripturally. God is always enough. Yeah. Just like we talked about, if you're somewhere that you can't be involved in a local body of believers, Jesus is enough and he'll get you through it. And you might feel like you're doing kettlebell hang clean squats in your backyard in 102 degrees by yourself in the dark. And you might be, but God's right there with you. Yeah. And uh, God is enough. But... The second part of the answer is, too, God gave us community. He gave us fellowship, and he wants us to grow with each other. And if you're Jacob in the desert or Jesus in the wilderness, God is enough. But Jesus didn't stay in the wilderness, and Jacob didn't stay in the desert. And God wants us to move towards those quality Christian relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and really, um, I think it's important to mention the Great Commission. If you are a believer— you have been called to make disciples of all nations. And Absolutely. that starts with where you are. Yes. And if y'all, if you have a whole bunch of non-Christian friends, that's a great start. Yeah. 
If you have genuine quality relationships with non-believers, maybe you have the maybe you have the gift of apostleship, like we talked about last week. Maybe you have the ability to go in and make those connections, and that's very important because Jesus says, "Go, go make disciples." But we got to be careful because Paul said, "Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals." And if we don't have a Christian foundation where we're in the Word of God and we're spending time with God, then it is so easy to start lying with dogs and rising up with fleas. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to have our heart get corrupted. And if we have Christian accountability, it's so much easier. Back to that, when, when one falls down, the other may pick him up. This really brings to mind the balance that I think we're all called to have between that fellowship with believers and that kind of surrounding ourselves with people who don't know Jesus yet. Right. We are called to do both. We are to the best of our ability. Right. Um, but if we lean in one direction or the other, we're going to have trouble. Just like first Corinthians 1533 says, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. And that is true. It's kind of a proverb, right? It's not, always immediately true when you keep company that doesn't agree with you or whatever. But I think that kind of the nugget of truth behind that is if, if you spend time with bad company for the sake of spending time with quote unquote bad company, then you are going to start to look a lot more like that bad company, right? If you don't have the truth, the, the truth of the gospel guiding your desires and your steps if you're not grounded in jesus yeah and and so one way to keep bad company from corrupting you is to always talk about jesus and be christ focused in my life god has protected me some really by from some really bad decisions by giving me the kind of reputation that would keep me from having those bad decisions same and so when when you're wearing the christian t-shirt and you're proclaiming jesus from the mountaintop people aren't going to ask you to go do a lot of the non-Christian things. It, it, you'll still have temptations, yeah. but a lot of that will be warded off by the fact that you just did the essential oil that keeps the flies away, <laughs> peppermint stuff or whatever. You just scared everybody off by proclaiming Jesus, and that works really well. Mm-hmm. But it's important to remember that while we're being in the world and not of the world, that every single person that we will ever meet is fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and they have an independent, precious soul that is made in the image of your Creator. And Jesus died for them, and they are ends and not means. In other words, it's not a statistic, it's not a notch in the belt, it's not another seat in the pew. It's a human being that we're called to love for who they are right now, and love so much that we want to help them because of them, not because of any progress or any credit or any glory we may receive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're called to be genuine friends, right? And that doesn't just mean that we are called to be genuine friends with other believers, right? Um, I'm I'm thinking of a few people right now that I know and love, and I know for a fact that they aren't believers. And we have con- we've had conversations about the gospel, and um, they have not come to believe yet. But gosh, I love them, right? And I'm not trying to use myself as a positive example, but um, for any other reason than to say, man some of the friendships I have that are both the most satisfying and heartbreaking are the ones with non-believers, right? Absolutely. And, it, and if you're, if you're committed to the Lord and you cultivate friendships, 
That is a row you have to till, but it is so worth it. Absolutely. So, Chad, we've done a great job of talking about how to walk that line when we have a bunch of non-believer friends. Mm -hmm. But how do we get Christian friends? How do you establish close personal relationships with believers? What do you think? Um, Well, I think that, A, being devoted to the fellowship of believers is a great first step in that, right? You know, you and I, you know, I mean, you're one of the best friends I've ever had, and we got to know each other through our church, right? Absolutely. And we work at it. Huh? And we work at it. Absolutely, right? And and the the foundation of that was was a was a common faith family, right? And we've done we've put in work to cultivate that friendship, right? And and I would encourage those who um who f- find that they have a lot of non-Christian friends and not many Christian friends, get plugged into a church. Get get close to to people who are believers, people who you respect. Look around on a Sunday morning and say I'd like to get to know that person or that person or that person and be brave enough to, to throw yourself out there. Yeah. Or if you are scared or you don't, you look around and you say, I don't know what to do. Let me challenge you. Find a faith leader. Talk to me. Talk to Michael. Talk to Chad and say, hey, I'd like a buddy. And I bet you we know our Haven students, our congregation, the people in our lives. I bet you we know people well enough to say, I bet you'd hit it off real well with this guy mm-hmm. or this guy or this person over here. Mm-hmm. And just like we talked about with spiritual gifts, go to yeah. somebody that loves you and loves Jesus and ask them what they see Jesus in you. Mm-hmm. The same way, go to somebody that loves you and loves Jesus and knows a bunch of people in your church and say, hey, who should I reach out to? Where's a good place to be connected? Yeah. And uh, if you're somebody that sees those connections, make them. You see two people that you think would be great friends? The three of y'all go to Burger King. Yeah. I pick Burger King because everything is better at Burger King. But you, you could even go to one of those coffee places if you wanted to spend $7 on coffee. But the point is we need to reach out and do. And, Chad, you had a great point about if you're a Christian, somebody led you to Jesus. Yes. So that's a great place to start. The person that led you to Christ, go to them. And depending on their situation, they may be a great best friend situation. They might not be. They might be your 80-year-old grandpa. Mm -hmm. They might be your mama. But it's a great place to start for insight about where to make those connections. Because you matter, and you're important, and we care about you, Mm -hmm. and we want to be your friends. And if you are ever out there just feeling alone and unloved, that's a lie from the pits of hell. Mm-hmm. Because you're fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who took the time to count the hair on your head. Absolutely, and I feel led to say too that if if you're struggling to find, you know, friendships with Christians, you know, with people who are devoted to Christ, um, I know that me when I was in college, if you would have told me, "Hey, go to your pastor and say I want friends who will help." you know, help me be a better person and who I can hopefully help be better disciples to Christ. I, the thought of that when I was 20 would have been paralyzing to me because I would have been like, that is such an awkward conversation to have. But I guarantee you, if you do what Corey advised you to do, if you, if you go to a faith leader, you go to Corey, you go to, uh, to pastor Michael, you go to your own pastor, you come to me, go um, to Andrew Scott, go to Andrew Scott, go to Lisa. Yes. Any person that you would talk to, 
would be ecstatic to hear you say that because that is a sign that you are growing in Christ because there is, if you are chasing after the Lord, you are going to crave those friendships. And if you don't have them and you're seeking them out, I'm going to look at that conversation and be, be like, man, that person's growing and I'm excited about it. Exactly. It's no pastor is ever going to get upset that someone comes to him and says, help me get plugged in with other people in your church Yeah, ever. Yeah. And and that's a great step. And it kind of reminds me this question of Elijah. And I love, I love, I love the story of Elijah in the Bible. I love when he takes on the priests of Baal and and throws water on the wood and makes it set fire and outruns a chariot and does all these incredible miraculous things and has birds bring him room service and all this incredible stuff. But then he gets to sitting alone and feeling alone and having a pity party. And he says, God, just kill me. I'm sick of being alone. Just, just take me away. Like you did everybody else. There's no, there's nobody else, but you, but me that honors you in this world. Mm -hmm. And God says, Elijah, I've got a whole remnant, thousands of people that have never bowed the knee to Baal that honor me. You are not alone. That's a lie. And you might feel alone, but you're not alone. We love you, and we're here for you. Mm -hmm. And God loves you, and he's here for you. And we desire a friendship with you, and other people do too. And do not believe that lie for one minute. Amen. Amen. And I'll just throw this out as kind of a, uh, a, a, a footnote at the end of that particular part of our conversation. Um, if you share the gospel with your non-Christian friends, they're likely to become Christian at some point. And then you have Christian <laughs> and then friends. And you have Christian friends. <laughs> um, and, and I say that kind of laughing because it, it seems like such a, such a, you know, stupid, easy solution. And it's hard. It is hard to share the gospel with our friends. I, I knew a couple one time that planted a church together, uh -huh. just the two of them, a husband and wife. Yeah. And, uh, I came along 10 years later when the church had grown and, and I did a revival there at their church. And I was talking to, to the wife uh, while husband was in the other room getting something. And she said, what's awesome about church planning is the whole church is just my friends. <laughs> like they were just, I made friends and they came and we started and they're all like me and they're all my buddies. And it's awesome. Yeah. So that is a great place to start is, mm -hmm. is you really love being around somebody who's not a Christian? Well, get them saved. Yeah. yeah. I love the fact that him. when Kate's best friend, Luke Lee, got saved mm -hmm. when he was, I don't know, six years old, maybe. Mm -hmm. And Kate had gotten saved about a year before, and Kate was really, really worried about Luke. And so Luke called or texted or something to say, hey, I got saved tonight. And Kate said, oh, thank goodness. I was so sick of praying for you. Oh, I'm so, I've been praying for you so long. I'm so glad we're going to be in heaven together. Thank goodness. He was just so relieved because yeah. now his favorite person. Mm-hmm had the same relationship with Jesus that he did. Absolutely. And I love watching the way God moves through children. Yes. We can learn a lot from them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think, I think it's, it's time to, to start to kind of try to land the plane. And so just some ending thoughts that we have kind of in, in summary for this episode. Um, I want to ask you this, what does it mean to forsake the gathering of the saints? Well, when I think of the word forsake, I think it means to give up on. Mm -hmm. And 
I think specifically what Paul is saying there is don't give up on the church. When things are tough, when things are bad, when you you don't like the preacher, you don't like the music, you don't like the pews, you don't like the people in the pews, you don't like whatever, don't give up. And forsake has this connotation of quitting when times are tough. Yeah. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going, that kind of thing. But I also think we tend to forsake in the good times too. That's why it tells us in Ecclesiastes to remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come. Because sometimes we say, oh, I'm good. I got no problems. Everything's fine. I'll get religion if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. But God desires to have a fellowship with us and with other believers the whole time Mm -hmm. before the days of trouble come. And sometimes that accountability keeps the days of trouble from coming. Yes, absolutely. And, And so I think forsake needs to give up. And I would say to you, even in this COVID-19 crazy, don't give up. When you can go back to church, go back to church. Mm-hmm. If you got to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you got to sit apart from people, sit apart from people. If you got to do elbow tag instead of shake hands, do elbow tag. And if you got to sit there and watch on your four-inch phone screen, watch on your four-inch phone screen mm-hmm. because it's worth it. Don't give up. Don't forsake the fellowship and the gathering of believers. Amen. Amen. And so if forsaking means to give up... Um, is being devoted just not giving up or does it mean something more than that? I think being devoted is in a lot of ways, not giving up. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the positive and negative command here. Yeah. You have the same thing. God's saying, don't forsake the gathering and Mm -hmm. be devoted to the fellowship, which is in in a way the gathering, they're related terms. I think of though as devoted as a sacrificial dedication Something you work at, mm-hmm. whether that's a sport or a game or a job or a relationship, when we're devoted to something, we think about it. How can we make it better? Mm-hmm. Not just not give up on it, but how can we give it a little bit more, work a little bit harder? And so I think when it tells us, when the Bible tells us to be devoted to fellowship, mm-hmm. God is saying, work at your friendships. Yeah. Work at it. Yeah. And for, for some reason, you know, I think we all have, um, words that, that relate to other words in in our minds. Right. And sometimes those don't make sense. Like for some reason I replace McDonald's with Walmart and vice versa. I do the same thing. Really? And I think it, here's my McDonald's is the Walmart of restaurants and Walmart is the McDonald's of grocery stores stores. Yeah. 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 It's, it's weird. Right. But, um, sometimes they kind of make sense. And, and for me, when I think of devotion, a lot of times I think of cultivation, right. And I'm a gardener, I'm, I'm an ag person, right. I, I, you know, um, but you know, when I think of cultivating a thing, it, it means when you cultivate something, you, you put intentional effort into helping that thing be the best that it can be. I have a garden in my backyard right now and I've, my kids have been playing t-ball and we've been really busy. We've had youth camps. And so I haven't been able to spend as much time cultivating my garden as I would like to. And that doesn't mean my garden has gone away. In fact, it's kept growing, but I've got a big old crop of Bermuda grass growing too. Right. And, and my garden is not thriving, but it's still growing. And your relationship with the Lord will still develop even if you aren't devoted to it. If you have a relationship with the Lord, it'll just develop in an unhealthy way. I love the insight you just shared. I have never even planted 
anything in my life. I spit out some watermelon seeds, and that's the closest thing to planting. <laughs> and I never probably would have thought of the word of cultivation. Mm-hmm. But the reason I've never planted anything is I hate the idea of digging a hole, sticking something in the ground, and then wondering if it's going to pop up. <laughs> it's not an instant results kind yes. of thing. Yes. That's hard. Mm-hmm. I think there's a really big element to this devotion thing is that we don't demand instant results. Mm -hmm. Sometimes friendships are hard. Sometimes we clash with people initially and end up being very close to them later. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's going through some bad stuff together that seals those bonds. Absolutely. Uh, I've had some coworkers that maybe I wasn't excited about day one, but after we fought a few wars together, (laughs) jury trials, that type stuff, then we're close for life. Yeah. And sometimes you've just got to go through those things, but you got to cultivate and you got to wait for the seed to sprout. That's yeah. a great example, Chad. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, and, and really we tend to devote ourselves to the things that matter the most to us. We tend to work at the things that matter the most to us. Right. And oftentimes if we don't, if we find it hard to be devoted, right. And there are exceptions here because sometimes we just get tired and we, we need to refocus. Right. But if we consistently find ourselves struggling to be devoted to the gathering of saints or struggling to be devoted to, um, living out the, the call that the Lord has put on us in our friendships with non-believers, I think that it is proper and good for that to prompt us to ask the question, what do I really care about the most right now? Am I am I putting the Lord first in my life? I like to say, well, like to my football kids, mm-hmm. you always do what you want. Yeah. Now you want you might you might want to sit in front of the fridge more than you want to be a football star. You might want to stay home from school more than you want to go to school, even though you also want to be smart. But you always do what you want in the end. Yep. And I want to encourage you to decide that you want to have the relationships we talked about tonight because they are worth it. Absolutely. They're absolutely worth it. I'm thankful for my friendships with other believers, and I'm thankful that the Lord has given us the leeway to have friendships with those who don't believe. Absolutely. I'm thankful for my friendship with you, and you're in the believer category. (laughs) I'm very thankful for my friendship with you, Chad. You're a blessing. Uh, Likewise. Likewise. Okay. All right. See you later. That's a wrap. See you guys.